Lord, as we turn to your word, may it be for us the word of life and the word that lead us closer to Christ, the incarnate word. Amen. Well, not surprisingly today, I want to turn to that passage in Joshua and then near the end, just tip our minds for a couple of minutes to the passage in Hebrews. Uh, the context uh, which uh, Francis helpfully began to unpack for us is this. Joshua is an elderly man. It's a long time since he was given the responsibility to succeed Moses as the leader of the people of Israel. They were big shoes to fill. But he's done what has been asked of him. And he's led God's people to the promised land. He's seen a lot over a long life. He was there when the plagues ravaged Egypt. He was there when God led the people out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, escaping from Pharaoh. He made the trip through the desert to the edge of the promised land, and then significantly in his own story, made the trip back into the desert for 40 years of wilderness wanderings as he took charge of God's people. He saw God part the Jordan River. He saw the walls of Jericho crumble. And he saw the enemies of God put into a panic. He's witnessed the punishment of Achan after his sins. He's shared in the battles that there have been as they entered the land God promised to them. And then at last, he's experienced the restoration of the blessing and the presence of God as they've come to settle in Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. And now, near the end of his life, the great man gathers the people together and speaks to them. And I want to reflect on what he says to them this morning briefly on this, the first Sunday of a Methodist year, and ask the question, how do we heed the words of Joshua? The first thing he asks the people to do at this point in their life is to remember. Consider the grace of God. God who chose you, he says, who gave you Abraham, Isaac, and Moses, and Sarah, who brought to you the law by which to live. Remember. Consider the faithfulness of God, who, when you were captive, never gave up on you, but delivered you and remained with you each day, a pillar of fire, manna and bread from heaven, through the years of the wilderness. Remember. Consider the goodness of God, he says, who has brought you through times of captivity and battle to this land, a place flowing with milk and honey. Remember. A new Methodist year is a time for us to remember. To remember what God has done for us. What's our equivalent story of the rememberings that bring us to this place? of God's grace and faithfulness and goodness to us. The notion of remembrance isn't just individual, though. It's a remembrance of a community. 
Joshua is here speaking to the people of Israel. What if you like they corporately remember? And for those of you who know much about Jewish festivals, you will know that almost all of them, not quite all, but almost all of them, are figured around a point of remembrance. The Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, etc. Times when God has led the community, not just the individual, through a particular history and experience. So we remember in this place, 104 years on, 104 and counting, times where God has led us personally and corporately out of danger, has delivered us, has guided us, has nourished us, has protected us, has accompanied us through the valleys, drawn near to us when it's been a time of need, visited us with healing. Remember. And also today in relation to this church, or rather God's church, which is entrusted to us at this particular time and place. Those who were here in the hundred years that preceded us. Remembering the generosity of people giving from around the world to the Million Guinea Fund and those who have worked and given to enable the ministry and the witness of this place over a century here in the centre of London. Remember. But remember too our responsibility to hold in trust this place of God, of worship, of care, of hospitality, of mission, now and tomorrow. The second thing that Joshua asks of the people as he gathers them together is choose. Choose, he says, who you will serve. It's a bit of a surprising thing to ask, really. After all, after all that they've been through and all the years that they've been on the road and all the years they've been a wandering pilgrim people together, you'd think that the decision that they'd made to follow and who to choose was made long ago. But you know, times have passed. We mustn't imagine in the chronology of Joshua that they arrived finally into Canaan, the land of milk and honey, on Tuesday and on Thursday morning, he gathers them together for this last statement. We think they've possibly been in Canaan between 10 and 20 years. And that's significant. Because when time has passed, and when the battles are done, and when people settle down, and when folk get on with their own lives, and they pursue their own interests and their own careers, and the real need to rely on God for manna each day has really passed because now they've got cattle and sheep and crops and water sources, then the passionate reliance upon God in the wilderness seems somewhat past and remote. And remember too, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and then these years in Canaan, it's almost a new generation of people that Joshua is talking to. 
He's not talking to a group of nanogenarians who happened to be three when they were led out of Egypt and said, remember, 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 and they all could remember. He's saying to people who are 8 and 16 and 25, and some of whom have never even experienced manna, remember. And now he says to them, choose. The faith of your parents is vitally important, he says. Being in this people who believe this and remember this and celebrate this is vitally important. But it doesn't replace the need for you to choose for yourself. And then he goes on and asks for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. But, and you can almost see this in parenthesis in the text, but I can't tell you who to worship. I can only say for myself, but I exhort you today, you choose for yourself. And choose today. And some of us need to choose or choose again who we are, who we shall be in relation to God. A new year gives you that opportunity. Some of us who've served God for years and years and in this metaphor lived in the promised land and settled down there, we need to choose again. Our faith in Christ has become fitted around us rather than us being fitted around it. We need to choose again. The faith that's become life-enhancing and rather entertaining rather than life-transforming. We need to choose again. The faith which is affirming rather than disturbing, relaxed rather than radical. We need to choose again. So at the start of the new Methodist year, I ask all of us and myself, choose this day who you will serve or who you will continue to serve. And it's in this sense that we note what Joshua says to the people. Throw away all your old gods and choose the Lord. It's interesting because biblical scholars note that although the text itself refers to these idols or these other gods belonging to the Amorites or somebody else, it's quite clear, reading between the lines, that quite a number of the people who have now settled in Canaan as part of the migratory people of God have started to worship or carry about other idols and gods directly against what the law told them to do. Why did people follow gods, other gods, even in the people of Israel in their earliest beginnings? Well, probably because they didn't demand very much, but they promised quite a lot. It was easy to carry a wooden carving in your pocket like an amulet. It was relatively easy to throw a bit of grain at the foot of an altar and imagine that something was going to happen. It was easy to bow to the sun as you came out of the door each day. But this God, the God of Yahweh, the God who I ask you to remember, the God who today I ask you to choose whether it will be this God or another, this God, says Joshua, wants everything. So he puts it to the people like this, serve the Lord with all 
faithfulness, with sincerity and truth. If you want a 21st version, a century version of that, in other words, serve the Lord for real. Because insincere, routinized, inauthentic Christianity that you put on as you go to church and put off as you get to work does nobody any good. It's death to those who play that game because that's what it is. And it's death in terms of its ability to attract or persuade anybody else to think that Christianity is worth the candle. Stop playing about, says Joshua, and if you're going to choose, choose now and do it properly. And it's here that I part not with the biblical text but with our reading because if we'd read on and if I'd have got the whole sermon finished by the time I'd had to provide the reading, I would have added just a couple of verses because when Francis got to the end of our uh, reading at verse 18, it was good news. All the people turned round to Joshua and said, you're right, you're right, we remember, we choose, we too will serve the Lord. And then in the next verse that comes, you have what most Old Testament scholars say is one of the most devastating verses in the whole of the Bible. That's got your attention. It's this. I'll just give you the read-up for the first verse. Joshua said, and the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. And Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, then you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. And the word which we render there, chosen the second time, beefs up and strengthens the irrevocable nature of what they've just done. I wonder what it felt like when you've just got to the point where you say yes to God as an Old Testament person. There you are on that day zipped up by the passion of the preacher, by his authenticity, he's led you as long as you can think. Yes, I will. Yes, I, of course I will. I, I start again. I know I've always, I keep saying this, but yes, this year, this year, I will, I will, I will. Well, you can't. Why? Because he's bigger than your imagination. He's bigger than your comprehension. He's a holy God. He wants everything. He's a jealous God. He wants all of you, and you can't give that. Which is why the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God's Son, is such wonderful good news. Because it's Jesus, God's Son, who in the fullness of time comes down among us and shows us how to live and reveals to us what redemptive, saving death is like, who is raised to life by God's power and lives even now today to pray for you and me 
and through his sent Holy Spirit enables us to live in the presence of God and with the strength of God now and forever. God doesn't become less big or less wonderful or less holy, but God in Christ does become much more knowable and able to be served and able to be found. And you see here right at the core of this Old Testament passage the extent of what can be offered and then the huge philosophical religious step that's made in the New Testament with the coming of Jesus Christ. And now, what's possible when you say, yes, I will serve the Lord. Because of God's grace, we are invited into our relationship with God. Because of God's grace, Jesus came and died and bridged the chasm that separated us from God. And now we're invited to follow the Lord and choose the Lord in a relationship with a God that Joshua describes but could not quite promise in the same way. God, in Christ, has made a way for us to choose and serve him. And I think that's at the heart of the reading from Joshua too, because if we were to continue to read to the end of the book, Joshua doesn't come out as hard as he sounds just in those few verses. What happens is he says, well, if you really, 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 really promise, God is merciful and gracious and will find a way whereby we can walk in his ways. If I had to render down everything in this Joshua passage to a sentence, it would be this. People of Israel, says Joshua, show God that you love him. Show God that you love him. And that may well be the word of the Lord to many of us today. But some of us also need to hear and receive the word through Hebrews. And this is very short, but very important. Because that passage from Hebrews that Manuel read for us is about growing up to be mature. It's the elder who writes the book of Hebrews, and no one quite knows who that is, writing to this group of Christians and basically ticking them off a bit and saying, I thought I could put you into big school this year, but actually you're going to stay in this school for a further year because you've not learned what you should. You're still scratting around in the shallows of the Christian faith, and until you've actually graduated or matriculated or whatever other word you want, you stay there. It's a pity, because I thought some of you could even be teachers by now. But no, stay in that class. We need to consider at the start of a new year, and I'll come back to this through this year from time to time. How are we growing in the faith in which we have adopted, we have chosen? Because it doesn't happen by accident. It is perfectly possible to attend a church, to be a Christian, and to still be an infant in so many ways of the faith, 10 and 20 and 30 years on. 
How do we move towards maturity? Just as you need food and education and training to get anywhere in life, so in terms of the life in Christ, we need to pray and read, associate with other Christians and be intentional about going from meat to milk. So at the start of a Methodist year, I want to invite you again to consider in very practical terms how you might show God that you love him and intentionally grow towards greater Christian maturity. How do you view this year of our Lord, 1617? Another rut to walk in? Another cycle after the many cycles that we've got where we rather yawningly look towards Advent and then Christmas and look in the diary and see, etc. You see, the desire of the early Methodists, and John Wesley taught repeatedly about serious religion, by which he didn't mean serious on the faith, he meant you took it seriously. The desire of the early Methodists was to become better, more mature followers of Jesus Christ. It was a discipleship movement. Over the next few days and weeks, all our groups, some of them well-established, some of them here for a season, will start up again after the summer break. Do we need to join one to move from milk to meat? There's new opportunities for prayer and Bible study and fellowship. Is this the year to get those Bible study notes ordered, to get that prayer handbook, to keep it next to your bed or the couch and diligently and faithfully say, I am spending time with God each day this year. Do I need to commit myself more faithfully to church attendance? Now, that's not just simply a kind of Methodist minister saying, where are you all? It's not quite as crude as that. Uh, But one of the things, and I write about this in Westminster Word, one of the things that we know because of a number of studies that have been undertaken is that once people get out of the habit of not coming to church and worshipping and meeting with other Christians, it's very difficult to get back in it. The reality is that most people who once went to church and now don't didn't have some great crisis of faith where they woke up on a Wednesday and said, all this faith I've had for the last 27 years, it's all nonsense, I don't believe it anymore. That virtually never happens. What does happen is that you go away on a holiday for three weeks. And then you come back and you've lost the plan and then something happens and then you have a small operation and you have two weeks off. And before you know it, suddenly it's not part of, wait for it, the routine anymore. Is this the year to resolve to get back more fully into the church-going habit? Because some habits are very good for you. Is it time to commit ourselves more faithfully to a new ministry of service, of pastoral care, or volunteering to do that thing that you've been praying on your mind for years, but this year I'm going to do it? Is this the time to revise and renew your giving to the purposes and the ministries of God? Through this church, yes, and beyond it, to the work of the kingdom.
Incidentally, because I didn't not- do it in the notices, and this really is a manipulation of a sermon, but I'll only spend one, sir, one sentence. I've opened a special fund this week. It's called the Martin Atkins Fund Appeal to Westminster Central Hall Congregants who might give gifts to buy us a new carpet in the Emmanuel Room Fund. It's been beautifully decorated. We use it nearly every day, but the decoration's done what every decoration does. It's revealed for the fact that what we're walking on is terrible. So I've got a quote, and if anybody's laid on their heart to give back to that space, let me know. And the other fund's this. We're going to lay out quite a substantial amount of money, over £2,000, to run our Alpha course. And if somebody feels that that's something that they'd like specifically to give to because they believe in the discipling, the nurturing of people becoming Christians or exploring the faith, let me know. End of advert. Must finish. So on this New Year Sunday, we hear these words. Remember, choose, choose for yourselves, choose today, throw away all other gods, stop playing games, show God that you love him, resolve to be a better, more mature disciple of Jesus Christ. How does God's word find us today? So I lead us in a prayer, and if any or all of that relates to an aspiration of your own heart, I ask you to stand as I pray it, but not to stand if you don't feel like you can. Let us pray. We give this year to you, Lord, as individuals as members of this congregation who are entrusted with the life of the fellowship of Christ in this day. We give to you the things that we're unclear about, the things that we struggle about, and we ask today for the, for the power to choose right, to remember well, and to walk more closely in your way and seek your nourishment to become ever better disciples. Hear our prayer through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.